Hello, and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast, where we tackle the leadership topics everyone is thinking about, but no one is talking about. And now, let's join our hosts for today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast. I am Vance Martin and I am sitting across from the amazing David Miller and Keith the Man Robinson. What's up, fellas? Great. How are Love you? That so I've got a little Vance Martin trivia for you guys today. Did either of you know that I used to be 40 pounds heavier than I am now? I didn't know that. I did not know this. It's 100% truth. I was 40 pounds heavier, and uh, I decided that I wanted to change that, and I didn't want to be 40 pounds heavier. I okay. Good uh, for you. was heading into my 30s and thought, I'm getting older. I got to change the way I look, the way I feel. So I started, I, I got a 5K app, and I'm like, I'm going to run a 5K. I'm going to get off the, the couch, and I'm going to actually do something. And this app is so insulting, but it's so needed because it tells you in your, in your earphones, it's like walk and you walk for so many seconds. And then it's like run for 10 seconds. And then, so I'm just running. And even doing that, I was, I would come home just drenched in sweat. Interval training, man. Yeah, it was, it was intense and uh, also changed my diet. So I just basically like, I got one of those calorie counting app things where I log every single meal, every snack, everything. Yeah. And I was like on it. And in four, it was like four or five months, I lost. At that point, actually, it was more like 60 pounds. I've actually put on more kind of equalized where I was at, where I'm at now. And I've maintained this way for basically, you know, seven years, which I feel wow. good. Good but for you, dude. That's that, rad. I know. That's right. So here's the moral of the story. Anything that is worth attaining that is, that is success is usually painful. Yeah, it's difficult. And it is difficult. And not only getting there, but staying there. Because this is something that I have to continuously fight for because I really love cheeseburgers. That is my favorite thing. I, I, and I do eat cheeseburgers, but I just don't eat two cheeseburgers like I used to eat two cheeseburgers. Uh, so today we're talking about the shadow side of success. I think before we even dive into this even further, let's define what success is, especially when it comes to church, because this can get kind of squirrely because we're, we're thinking about like, this is kingdom stuff. And so what defines success and failure? What do you guys think uh, when you're thinking of this context, what is success? Yeah, I, I think that for the sake of this episode, I think we define success through the lens of growth. It can be growth in attendance. Um, if you're a nonprofit or another organization, it's, it's, it's growth in engagement or, um, or in finances, but, but it, is, it is growth in some way. Uh, we're not necessarily saying that growth equals healthy, but from an outside perspective, so often all the people in the you know, conferences, all the books that we're reading, right? Yeah. Most of those, we, we hold them up because there's growth. And, and to some level, um, as we've been thinking about this episode in particular, and it's important for us not only to, to hold them up on the pedestal and say, wow, uh, that's so awesome. How do I do that? What are, what's your secret? But we also need to understand that there's difficulty. There's a shadow side of growth or of success. 
that we just need to call out and normalize the conversation a little bit. And I, I don't think there's enough conversation out there about the difficulties associated with growth and success in particular. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think this is something that we see a lot of times when we're coaching people, when we're helping them through situations. A lot of times they come to us. I see, I don't know about you guys, but people come to us and say, hey, we've just experienced tremendous growth and my old reality doesn't work anymore and I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, and there's these are good problems to have. Have you guys experienced that in in some of your coaching stuff that you've done? Absolutely. Absolutely. I um I, I was recently coaching a next gen team for a church in Reno, Nevada, and uh and their their student ministry grew in one year. It grew from fifty students to four hundred students. Wow. And, 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 That's and, incredible. And I, that's it's, awesome. it's absolutely incredible. And everyone that would hear about that, and probably those of you that are listening now are like, whoa, like how do I accomplish that? But here's, here's the, the, the sad reality is that I'm on with this leadership team and, and they're like, yeah, no, we know it's incredible. We're excited, but we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to handle it right now. We don't know um, how to move forward because, because what got us you know, to this point, what got us here won't keep us here. And so uh, we started talking through how to um, relook at their systems, how to relook at how they train and recruit their volunteers. Uh, we even had to have a couple of really difficult conversations around, you know, hey, is the staff you have now going to be able to keep up with yeah. where you're at now? Because the staff that can run a ministry of 50 maybe isn't the same staff that can run a ministry of 400, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's not one better than the other. It's a different skill set. It's a different weight of ministry that's happening. Totally. And what yeah. you need to do to lead is just a little bit different. And so that, that's been my experience in, in the coaching side is, is really having to retool a lot of what, you know, hey, this was really awesome, and, but what got you here won't keep you. Well, and like what you just said is, you know, about staff not being able to transition and handle what I've found is it's not a good or bad. It's that there's a different wiring. I don't, I see this so much in church planting. Yeah. You know, there's the pioneer church planter entrepreneur who starts the church, but their personality, once they get it built, a lot of them, they leave and they go plant another church. They go start something else because it's right. a different skill set. When something to to build something and to help continue to maintain momentum or establish something uh, bigger or you know to go to that next level, it's yeah, it's a totally yeah. different. So one is not better than the other. It's just some of us are wired differently and better suited for for different times and seasons of organizations. Yeah. And it's so it's not saying well you're bad because you're not good at a church of five hundred. Well. It's maybe because you can't handle, you're not, your, your gifting set is more of something that is maintaining and not building, which is not a bad thing. So, right. but it's hard well, to hear that. I've always looked, I mean, on the opposite of that, you know, even I look at my own personal wiring and I, I've always looked at the person that was able to plant that church, start it in their living room and grow it into some, I mean, that was never me. You know, I can I mean, never I, do that. Yeah, I always looked at it and said, gosh, like that's a wiring that we need, but that is very different. I was always much better at taking something that had the the you know the beginning in in play and moving it and growing it from there. Kind of that second, third leader was probably a sweet spot for me. And I think understanding that is so important, but most most people don't understand 
the differences in that kind of leadership. And I think it, it brings a lot of pain with it. It brings a lot of, of struggle. And so I know, you know, Keith, you were, you were talking um, earlier about maybe even in the nonprofit side, you know, talk a little bit about how you've experienced that in your world. Yeah. You know, um, started a nonprofit when I was 24 years old. And whenever we, we started that organization, me and my wife, um, I was just starting to travel and, and speak. And we had a nonprofit that was reaching high school students. And our target demographic was actually at-risk youth. And so we were building a bridge, um, working in community partnerships in, in communities across the country. But it started out really small. And within a year, um, you know, where I was traveling once, you know, twice, maybe a week to speak now, um, I was literally, you know, on 20 and 30 day tours, you know, wow. things were blowing up. That's a and, change. And the volume. Yeah. I, I mean, I went from, you know, like going to Kinko's to print out, you know, more flyers or business cards or whatever it was to literally having to like, you know, outsource my design and marketing. And and so mm-hmm. we're, we're growing at this, at this rapid pace and everybody's like, wow, what are you doing for success? And, and I'm, I'm trying looking to stay at, above my head above water. Yeah, yeah, my ground. hair's on fire right now and yeah. it's exciting. But I realized that the leader that I was that got us to that place, like you said, David, I was going to have to become a different leader in many ways mm-hmm. in order to sustain that success over time. And, and so it really challenged me. I had to read things that I'd never read before and uh, apply things to my life by listening to mentors and having others speak into me so that I could deal with some of that success that, that I was experiencing at the time. So yeah, it was great. It was fun. It was exciting, but it was also probably the hardest season for me to learn some really tough lessons that, um, that I wasn't prepared for before I encountered success. Yeah. I, I experienced that too in one of the churches that I that I worked at. And uh, when I went to this church, it was probably about 2,500. And I was, at this point, I was like 24, 25 years old. And so I was the children's pastor at this church and they had just built this huge auditorium. It was like a 3,000 seat auditorium. And like, as soon as we got into this thing, this was in 2000, around 2008, we went over, like grew a thousand people overnight, just overnight. And meanwhile, we also housing market crashed and budget went down and we lost all of our staff. So wow. like we had to let go of people. So, and we had, we had relocated and had uh, two other, uh, the campus at the old location and started another campus at another location. So all these things, good problems to have, but money didn't go up. Giving didn't go up. Giving kind of stayed the same. Hmm. And so we were kind of caught in the middle. And honestly, that's when I, I burn out. Uh, That was not, I was not used to the change of, I was used to, Hey, I can get up on stage and I can do anything. I can run it all. I can do it. Yeah. It required a different kind of leader at that level. I either, a lot of people, either you crumble under that pressure, which that's what I did that time. I crumbled under the pressure because I didn't know any better. I only know the way to do ministry that I did ministry. You either you either crumble or you learn, you adapt, you grow, you get stretched by it. A trial me, by fire. Absolutely. I got crushed by it. And I said, I'm never going to do that again. Yeah. I have to do ministry differently. And that was, so either way, 
if you stay and you learn something new, there's pain in that success of learning how to totally, the things that you were really good at before, you can't do them anymore. You have to learn new things. A lot of times your identity is wrapped up in that. I know I was for me because things that I was good at, I I wasn't able to do anymore. I did new new things that I wasn't good at. So mm. you you're, there's pain in that or you don't adapt and change and your circumstance will change. Either you're right. going to burn out or you're going to get fired or you're going to be that person that says, hey, you're just not, this isn't for you. You're not with us. You can't, you can't handle this. And that brings yeah. great pain. Now let's say from that, it was that pain that I experienced of getting fired that enabled me to grow from it and be prepared the next time that I was in that situation. But either way, there's pain. Think about what you just said there, Vance. I mean, that, that there's so much there. So you walked with a church, you were in a leadership position and had a church grow exponentially and you were a part of it. And on the back end of that, you got fired. Totally. I mean, I, I, I don't think that people understand that growth can be dangerous. Yeah. Growth is dangerous. If we're not prepared for it, if we're not thinking about it, because I think that we ride the wave of growth, we ride the wave of success, and we get to this point where it feels like we can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. We get to this point where it feels like we are believing in our own press. Yeah, we yep. buy our own hype and we can do no wrong. And, and, and then the reality sets in of, okay, now the expectation, the bar has been raised. Now this is the lowest expectation people have. If yeah. we dip, if, we, if, if, if our productivity changes, uh, I'm going to be seen as not being good enough. I'm going to be seen as not um, being successful anymore. And so there's something about it. But what I think happens, what I've found is that most leaders we really believe that, you know, and I believe I said it even before, what, that what got us here will keep us here. Like Vance, to your story, the, the, the type of leader that I am, you put me on stage and I'm going to be able to lead through whatever happens, yep. is going to continue to push you, for, not only maintain, but continue to push that success, that growth um, forward as you go. And so when that doesn't happen, inevitably, when that doesn't happen, we, get, uh, we start coming down on ourselves. We start coming, mm-hmm. you know, other people start looking at us through another lens because we haven't switched from being able to be the person that worked on the ministry or, or in the ministry to being the person that can work on the ministry. Mm-hmm. When you first start at a certain size of ministry, it really is all about you working in it. You're in the trenches. You're with people. Yep. You're the speaker. You're the counselor. You're the event planner. You're the trainer of volunteers. Graphic design artist, yeah. the video yeah, editor. Exactly. The- you know, you're, you're all of it. And then, and then what happens is, the, and, and, and that becomes a skill set that you have, that master, uh, you know, or that, that, that master practitioner, right? And that's a skill set that you have. It's like, uh, it's like that basketball player that now is being asked to become a coach. You know, I, I've, I've noticed a trend and this, this is not a, you know, top to bottom necessarily, but, but most of the basketball players in the NBA that become NBA coaches were not the best player on their team. Would you guys agree with that? Like, is that, I mean, like, I think overall, I'm not going to pretend that I'm the most sports savvy person in the world, but my, my recollection, as I started getting more into coaching, I started paying attention to coaches of all types and started to realize that, that most coaches were not the best player on their team. And, 
just because you have that skill on the court doesn't mean you can transfer that skill into other people. And so that started messing with me in this whole ministry mindset, just because you can, um, grow that ministry and you're great up on stage and you can do all this stuff. You're a great doer of ministry does not mean that you will be able to equip others efficiently in ministry and make them better. Cause at a certain point, and I don't know if there's a, I, I feel like I, I have a study in my mind. Maybe you guys have heard of it. Um, at a certain point, there's, there's actually a number of, you know, of, of attendance or of growth that once you hit this, you do have to move from being an, an, an in the ministry person to an on the ministry person, someone yeah, who yeah. works in it to working on it. And there's that multiplication factor where you have to be able to say, now I'm not just doing this. I've multiplied myself. I've really been able to put that skill into other people to be able to do ministry. And now we do, I do ministry through them. Have you guys seen yeah. that and experienced that? Have you heard that study even? Absolutely. Yeah. I've yeah. heard of it. Yeah, you know, and as I think about that and, and what you're talking about, the, the idea that nothing exposes our vulnerabilities more than success. Mm, that's good. Um, and, and how have you guys seen that? Because I know we work with churches across the country and leaders across the country. And because the perception of success is the things that we're talking about, when the organization grows, when the ministry grows, and when it takes off and things seem to be moving up and to the right, um, and we're still working in the organization at that point, but there's this, there's also this pressure that's coming from that perception of success that says, sustain it now, keep it at this level. Yeah. yeah. And so how have you guys seen leaders, you know, give in to their own vulnerabilities in those moments? Um, maybe the pressure to inflate numbers or to fudge a little bit and say, actually, the ministry is going, you know, this way when reality says it's not. How have yeah. you seen leaders maybe fall prey to some of those vulnerabilities, even in the midst of the success? I think I've seen this, not not to over-spiritualize this, but I've seen many times, and I've, I've experienced this personally, but when you do have that success, the growth, the the excite there is an energy that comes with that yeah and it's really easy to believe that you created it yeah and there's a moment that you begin to think that you're the one that did it and where it gets dangerous is when you start taking credit credibility for it like credit for what happened and not not pointing towards god it's so easy when we get success our human nature wants to put us on the throne mm -hmm. and not god and when we do that, then we start, then because fear, what you're talking about, Keith, is fear. Mm -hmm. It's fear of I'm going to be removed from the throne. Yeah, fear of being found I'm gonna, out. Yeah, I'm going to be found out for the, the fake that I am. And so I've got I've to manufacture something that's bigger and better when in reality, when more success comes, the more we have to, what we should do is relinquish and release more to God. Yeah. And More thankful than prideful, right? Yeah. Thankful for yeah. what's happening and what you get to be a part of rather than prideful for what you created. Vince, uh, you know, I, I happen to know you, you've experienced this even in, in the slingshot side of things where we've had to come in after leaders yeah. who have fudged their numbers and they yes. end up getting found out. And so, you know, without, without obviously giving church names, like talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, there was one situation where there was a church culture that, it, yeah, like you said, Keith, that nickels and noses, like that is, that is everything to them. 
And so there's this high threshold and accountability even to, hey, this is where you should be. And when, if you fall below that, there's going to be, there's going to be hell to pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in that, I, I, I don't think that's healthy. I think that numbers are a metric. They're, they're like when I'm driving my car, that's, that's one of the gauges on my, on my dial. Yeah. And for this specific church, that was the gauge on the dial. Mm-hmm. And, and when the church itself started to get really just in a, they always had metrics of there's always got to be growth. But when they hit a season of plateau, hmm. that's, that's even not ex- acceptable. So what the leaders did in that situation is, you know, maybe some people get counted twice or, you yeah. know, that's three so times. Dangerous. And mm-hmm. so then the report that I get submitted that I'm going to be judged on and also my bonus, if I'm going to get one, is reliant on. So there's a financial uh, you know, motivation as well. You start to justify things because here's what can happen too. If you find yourself in an unhealthy organization, what you do is you, you, you say, these numbers aren't important. This isn't really what matters. Yeah, you justify we're, it. We're, we're in church. And so these things shouldn't matter. It matters way too much to them. You know what? These numbers mean nothing. So me adding these couple numbers in here, this really, it's all a false sense anyway. So I'm just going to change these numbers to pad, pad. I'm going to pad my stats mm-hmm. so that it makes me, makes me look good. Yeah. But what you've just done is you, you've made your, you've, okay, let's say that is that numbers solely is, is wrong. What you've just done is you've committed even a deeper sin and and you've, you've played into it and you've begun to deceive yourself. And that is a, it is a slippery slope. And when that's found out, which this was, it was found out in a culture where this is highly valued. The first thing that happens is you're done, you're fired. And now you go to the next place and we got to talk about this. You Why did you get released from your, it's, it is marked. And so the chasing, chasing the horizon of success can lead you to do things, to take shortcuts, to get there. Mm-hmm. But that always, always, because God is, God's good and it's his church and don't mess with his bride. You're going to be found out. It's going to come to the light. And, well, and he loves us enough too, right? Like totally. for, for, for the leader that's messed up, for the leader that's gone, gone to that place. Like, I think God's gracious enough sometimes to just expose that and, yes. and to show us and to, sure, yeah. and, and to work some things in us. Um, because if you've ever experienced success, you, you know, David, you said something a few minutes ago that's so true. Um, you're afraid you're going to be found out. Anybody that's experienced success at some point feels like an imposter. Like this shouldn't have happened to me. I'm not good enough, and I'm afraid right now uh, of what's going to happen. And if you don't feel that, I, I don't. I don't know if you're actually uh, grounded enough to really, to, to really see you know what's happening. Um, and that is that, Vance. To your point, when you take glory away from God, and we've all done it at some level. Um, and and again, not to over spiritualize it, but I just think that we become vulnerable in those moments to our worst devices. Um, And so I think having not only a good definition for success is important, but also, you know, figuring out as we move into successful seasons of ministry, leaning into not being content, not saying I did it, I've arrived, but how can I now lean into this process and get 
get better? And how do I take my hands off of it so I don't I don't wreck the very thing that God did? Well, and I think I think that the the real bottom line here is that in the midst of success, many of us take our eye off the prize. Many leaders start to really again we bask in the look at all the great things that are happening. And I and I truly believe that that is what makes success so dangerous. Yeah. And so, it, you know, there, there, are, there are ministries of people that are listening, churches and nonprofits that, that, would, that are in this really successful season. And I think, it, you know, my, my real encouragement here is, is take the time to examine, take the time to figure out, are you in a season of success right now that, that is sustainable? Are you in a place that maybe you need to look at your systems again and start to figure out what happens? Uh, don't just bask in the glory of it, but be vigilant in what, what could come around the corner. And I know, Vance, you, uh, you had a, a really interesting conversation um, with a leader, Josh Whitehead. He's executive pastor at Faith Promise Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. And, and this is a church that has experienced exponential growth over the years um, and is still... In, in the process of growing, have some incredible goals ahead of them. And, and yeah. you guys get a chance to talk about um, some of the ways that he is, is really guarding the staff and making sure that they're putting systems in place um, so that they don't fall into some of those very common traps of those mega churches or giant ministries or leaders that we've all heard and read the articles and the stories that, that at, the, at the top of their ministry was when they, they crashed the hardest. And so uh, I'm excited for uh, everyone yeah. to be able to listen to this, this interview with uh, Josh Whitehead. And I think it's gonna be really powerful. Well, welcome everybody to uh, the interview here. I've got Josh Whitehead, who's a good friend of mine. He is the executive pastor at Faith Promise Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. What's up, Josh? Oh, not much, Vance. How are you today? Dude, I'm doing so good. I was doing good, but now that I hear your voice, I'm doing much better. It's good to hear your voice, man. Hey, it's always great to catch up with you, so I, I can't complain. Dude, so... When we when we thought about this topic, what we're talking about through this whole podcast is how to deal with success. And when I think of the gold standard of success, the pinnacle of achievement of mankind, there's one man that comes to my mind, Josh Whitehead. So had to get you on the podcast. So I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and, and uh, helping us commoners out. Fans, I think it says a lot about you that you didn't cho choose Jesus in there, my friend. So I, I think there's, I think there's something well, to be said about you. This, 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 it's true. It's, it's all my parents' fault, though. So it's not, <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> I was raised pastor's kid. There, I was ruined early. So that's true. So what I, what I, what I was thinking about, you know, I don't know about you, Josh. I especially when I was young in ministry, I remember going to conferences. I remember visiting the mega church, having this idyllic picture of what success is in church and just thinking like it was just always there. But then once you've experienced quote unquote success in church, you realize the road to get there is uh, not all daisies. It's not a yellow brick road that is filled with rainbows and unicorns. Is that 
If, is, would you say that's a fair statement? Uh, I'd say that's exactly right. <laughs> it, there's, there's a lot of pain that has to come in order to, to get success. One of the things that when I visited with you guys, because uh, Slingshot Group, we've done a lot of stuff with Faith Promise. I think we've placed the majority of your student pastors at this point, which is awesome. Um, but when I was there on, on site with you, you talked to me about something that just captured me. And it was this huge vision that you guys launched at the beginning of the decade. Tell us about that. Well, you know, a couple of things that I would say first off is, you know, I think there's such a great spiritual segue into what you're talking about is that we believe that we learn the most when we're the most successful. And yep. I think a lot of times we, we learn the most when we struggle the most. Absolutely. And the, 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 the success of Faith Promise, you know, it was born, it's been born out of a lot of struggle. And, you know, the, the realizing that we weren't accomplishing things, realizing that we had to change things that, that made us successful. And so 10 years ago, Pastor Chris had this vision. Uh, we call it 10K by 2020. And really it was, hey, we want to have 10,000 people that we're reaching by the year 2020. And for Pastor Chris, what I love about him is a big vision like that really is captured in one way. It's captured in, he wants people to experience life change so significantly yeah. uh, that they have to be a part of what we're doing. And so for him, you know, that, that huge number is broken down into these individual people who are going to make their way into a campus. They're going to trust Christ. They're going to follow through, you know, and, and make a, you know, go, go public in their baptism. And then they're, they're going to get plugged in. You know, they're going to grow. Uh, they're going yeah. to serve. They're going to, to be generous. And so, you know, he takes this, he has this, this incredible ability to take this huge thought and say, this is how it happens. And that, that's really what he threw out. And, and honestly, 10 years ago, he said it, and most people thought, there's no way that that can happen. You know, not at Faith Promise, not in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. Right? There's just no way that can happen. And over time, we've seen God just continue to do things that would draw us closer to that. So take us back to that moment, Josh, if you, if you can remember back that far. What was it like when Pastor Chris unveiled the plan was this something that he just kind of, it just hit him one day? Or was this one of these things that he was chewing on, talking behind the scenes for a long time, you know, and, and then when it was revealed, what was that like hearing this big, audacious, unrealistic, because you guys weren't anywhere close to being 10,000 people that you're reaching on a, a, a weekend. This thing seemed far, far away. So tell us, take us back to that moment. Yeah, so in that season, we were actually only seeing about 2,000 people in one campus. So what's amazing about what happened is he didn't, like, build up to it. Like, you know, spend a lot of time talking about, man, I think God wants to do something yeah. great at Faith Promise. And I, but I think what's incredible that, that God has done through Pastor Chris is he's a visionary. Yep. So he, ha he always is full of tons of vision. So that's what's neat to get to walk with them. But in one season, at one point, he came to me and he, 
laid his journal. He's a big journal. He lays his journal out on this table in his office. I can remember it just like we were there right now. And he said, hey, I don't do this often, but I feel like God spoke to me this morning. And in six weeks, we're supposed to collect a million dollars. I need you to build a strategy for it. Oh, my gosh. And I'm wow. thinking, what? So I grab his journal, right? I'm, I'm like, because he, he didn't know I was walking in his office. He just pulls it out of his bag. He throws it down. And I, and I see that and I realize, okay, I think God spoke to him. I trust him. We're yep. going to do this. And we built a strategy and we collected a million dollars in six weeks. Oh my weeks. gosh. And it's, it wow. was one of the most amazing days that I've ever gotten to experience in ministry at Faith Promise. And so when he said it, even though for me personally, I didn't think it was that far-fetched, you know, other people hadn't had that type of experience that I had had, where he walked right. into the office and said that and had this huge vision. And so the first, you know, again, he just one day, as he had been processing and praying, he just made this statement, hey, we're going to reach 10,000 people by 2020. Mm. And, it, and most people didn't even realize it was coming. Like they didn't even have it. They didn't know, oh my goodness, you know, he's been processing something big. It was just like, boom, in a moment, he throws it out there. So most people just didn't have a way that they could process that. You know, they, they didn't have a yeah. framework that they could process that. But for me, honestly, it was just one of those things where I was like, okay, I wonder how God's going to accomplish this because mm -hmm. he doesn't flippantly throw out vision like that. And so, so a lot of people, it took some time for them to see the church go from 2,000 to 4,000 to 5,000 for us to begin to launch campuses for them to start thinking, this might be possible. And it's something that we joke about now that he'll joke about in some of our staff meetings because he'll say, hey, don't act like you believe it now. You wouldn't believe it back <laughs> in the day that, you know, when it, whenever I said it. But it truly was, man, it was just something that was unimaginable almost for most people. Yeah, yeah. Well, back then even, and, and for a lot, of, a lot of respects, even now, a church of 2,000, that's a big church. That's... I mean, that's bigger than 99% of the churches in America already. Like you've already achieved success, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. I'm using air quotes. You can't see my air quotes. Success for all, you know, for, for your average church. And so to be able to even then stretch that beyond. Um, I think the thing that's so cool, though, is you can tell that this, the motive behind this, it it's not about, Hey, we want to have 10,000 people because that's, you know, we just want to grow and we want to have the big church in town and we want to be the superstars of it. You can tell there's, it was God ordained, God led. And it's at the, the focus is the word you used, I think for is on souls. It's discipleship. It's bringing people into the kingdom. And that makes it something that you can, sacrifice for, right? That's, that's, that's the fuel behind, we've got to do this. That's right. So tell us, tell us about, okay, so that, that I wish I could have been there like a fly on the wall. That, that, that <laughs> moment sounds so good. And I can, I've met Pastor Chris, I can see him doing it. So in order for a church to grow from 500 to 2000, there's a lot of changes that have to take place. To change from 
2,000 to 5,000, lots of change, lots of things have to adjust to go from 5,000 to 10,000, totally different. How do you, how did you guys go about taking a vision and transferring it into systems to get this, this train moving down the tracks? And what, what, what were some of the obstacles that you faced on going about that journey of, okay, here, there's the vision ahead of us. How do we get there? What do we do incrementally? How do we get there over the next 10 years? What did that process look like? Well, first, sometimes I don't think it's fair because the way that Faith Promise started was so different than other churches. And I don't say that if you're a church leader, you know, part of leadership is, is, is really casting a vision that people want to follow, right? That they yeah. feel compelled to follow. But we had something else as a part of Faith Promise. So Faith Promise will be 25 years old in February. And what, what's so unique about the beginning is that the group of people who came together, so uniqueness in Faith Promise is Faith Promise wasn't, a, wasn't started by a pastor. It was started by a group of people who said, we want a church that would be different. Yeah. And so when they got together, one of the things they said about the different church they were going to create was it was going to be a church given to change. And if you wow. think about that, that doesn't the DNA. go with church. No, it's, it, and so that was set right early on. They, they made these crazy statements. They said, we're going to be a church that invests in other churches. Mm. So I, I, I remember a moment about five years ago uh, when we were, we were, we had a 20th anniversary celebration with the people who started Faith Promise. And I remember one of the ladies, she's a senior adult, and she was talking about these different statements. Like, I remember the day when we said we were going to be a church given to change, that we would do whatever it takes to reach the communities of people around us. And so we, we have that heritage, which is really incredible that we get to be a part of that. However, even though we have that as a part of our heritage, it didn't make things easy. And if I could tell you one thing that I think we did well uh, and the the ability to keep moving forward and impacting people and reaching people is that we really invested everything that we could in people. Yeah. Early on, Faith Promise was about, hey, we have to find people and develop people and help people mature and grow. And I mean that even from a staff perspective. So there's something about our culture many times that people don't see, but it, it's interesting in that uh, Pastor Chris focuses that every person each year should have a word that they focus on for spiritual growth and professional growth. So one word, and then he pushes us every year to create a personal growth plan that says, this is how I'm going to grow spiritually uh, in my life. This is how I'm going to go grow professionally in my life. And so that has become such a part of our culture that we just became a people who were about spiritual growth and development of each other. So even holistically as a team, yesterday I met with a team member for the first time that's, going, that was, that's transitioning to my team. And, and one of the first things that I said in the meeting was, could you send me a copy of your growth plan so that I can see what you're expecting God to do in your life this year? So wow. we, we bet the farm on the, on getting the right people. And sure. we haven't, we've never, we've not been perfect in that. I mean, Vance, you mentioned that we went through a season of transition and growth 
where we needed student pastors and we hadn't done a good enough job developing that role internally where we could, where we could hire only people internally. So you right. guys partnered with us to right. accomplish that. But I, I really think we did an incredible job of investing in, in, in the right people. I think the other, another thing at least that we did is that we were willing to consider things uh, that would stretch our team as well. So I always say that the people, the team and the volunteers that are a part of Faith Promise can't accomplish much by themselves, but they can accomplish anything together. And so when we would look at something and we would, we would start talking about, this is what God's calling us to do. I think individually, most people looked at themselves and thought, there's no way we can do this. Yeah. But then we remind them that we're going to do it together. They were on board. And so when, when God gave the thought for multi-site to Faith Promise, I, I came to the church in, in 2003, the summer of 2003. And the church, as a church, uh, the leadership has said, we're going to launch five campuses in the next five years. Do you know how many we launched? I'm, uh, none. Zero. That's exactly right. And, you kind of set me up actually, there. I didn't know. It was just a guess. It was a good guess. Our, our strategy for, for multi-site, we, it, it, we had this huge vision like, oh, we're going to launch five starting in 2003. And very few churches were even multi-site in right. 2003. Right, knew what it was. Or knew what it was. But the church always had this, these crazy thoughts, like, we're going to do this. And we didn't do it. And actually, our multi-site vision was birthed out, a little bit out of an argument between uh, Pastor Chris and myself. because. He was pushing me one day and he was like, I just don't think you want to launch a multi-site location. I was like, no, I want to launch it. I want you to tell me when to launch it. And we were going back and forth. Oh my gosh. And finally he said, just, I had drawn a line on a whiteboard, this huge whiteboard that we had. And I said, just tell me where. And I put, you know, years out on it. Mm-hmm. And he said, just pick a spot. And I picked a spot. And that spiritual moment created multi-site for us in 2010 uh, when we launched our first campus. It was seven years after we set out, but, but in reality, in Faith Thomas, we never abandoned something that we feel like God spoke to us. It may not happen in the season that we right. want it to, but we never it's abandoned what we believe that God told us to do. And so we literally did. Like we, we went through the process. We got a facility. We, we recruited the right team members, and we launched that campus, and it was incredible. And then we launched campuses after that. Uh, and continue to to fulfill that as a part of our vision. So so really we we we've like we've invested in the right team members. We've built this thought that we can accomplish more together. And then really we've figured out that we have to do things more effectively and more efficient efficiently, which forces you to create strategy, right? To be strategic. Systems. And yes. so so well before uh, we launched our first campus our CFO had already moved all of our finances to a, to an online uh, based system and all of our scheduling was done online. And some of that even sounds silly to talk about today. It's like, Oh, everything's that way today. But you know, you have to remember 11 years ago, you know, there wasn't even an iPhone, but you know, he realized, Hey, if this is our vision, that's right. There were no apps. That's right. But he just realized if this is our vision, we have to learn to work differently. We have to be able to empower our people in a different way. And so Pastor Chris's leadership style is empower people and let them fulfill the vision. And so our team is just permeated with that. So we build strategy. 
uh, and you know, we, we, I guess we created strategies and built systems to help us accomplish the vision. And we've always done that really ahead of its time because we've had the ability to be able to change and change more rapidly, I think, yeah. within our organization. I love it. Um, when you were talking about the, the elderly lady that you brought back for the, or the, for the 20 year anniversary, she was saying that we're, we're people of whatever it takes to reach the culture. And that, that being from the beginning, the DNA of who you guys are, I, now that you say that, I'm like, yeah, I can totally see that. But in that statement itself, whatever it takes, that speaks to me of it's determination, it's pushing through a pain, the roadblock. Tell us about a time when you had as a staff, as a leadership team, a whatever it takes moment that you, it's a crossroads and we can either continue to, to go through, lead, to go where God is leading us to accomplish the vision or we can go the easy route. Are we a people of whatever it takes and we're going to chase after the pain or not? Tell us about one of those times that you as a leadership team had to push through in a whatever it takes moment. Well, I would almost say we're living that moment right now. And just like I mentioned before, everything's not always easy. Um, vision's not yep. always simple to accomplish. It doesn't matter your culture, right? It, it, it just because you have a passion to do something doesn't mean it's easy to accomplish. And honestly, we became really passive about launching campuses. So part of our mm -hmm. vision and reaching more people was to launch more campuses. So we have eight physical campuses right now. And, and it's like we, our goal was, you know, launch more campuses. Well, last year, um, I sat down with Pastor Chris and I said, hey, we have a problem. And, you know, we were talking back and forth. And I said, our problem is we've become passive in campus launch. And one of the things that I'm seeing right now in multi-site, I, I think it's more than just us, is, you know, church leaders have this uh, kind of thought like, you know, hey, we're going to launch campuses, but we're going to wait for to see other churches are going to give us their facilities yeah. and then we'll launch campuses. We need God to do a miracle. And a lot of multi-site has been tossed on the shoulders of miracles instead totally. of hard work, you know, financial stewardship and responsibility, you know? So, so in church, it's easy for us sometimes to get caught up in that, you know, we, where we think, Oh yeah. You know, when they give us that, you know, that multi-million dollar facility on the main intersection in our city, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a church that's that, debt-free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think we got caught up in that a little bit. Yeah. And we were waiting, right? We're always right. waiting. There's got to be something better. There's got to be another opportunity. God's going to do something. And we became passive. And so last year I said, hey, we have to become active. Our vision perspective has always been active. We've always said, hey, we're going to move forward and take ground. We're not going to wait. And that doesn't mean we were impatient. I don't want to give that as a perspective like, hey, we just did things whether God told yeah, us to not do being or not. Un, not, not being case. unwise. That's right. But we, but we know what God has told us to do. And so but late last year, we started working again. And I pushed our team and said, hey, we're going to launch four campuses in the next 18 months. So let's determine where we're going to launch them now. And we went through an exercise that we finished kind of early this, this year. And we said, hey, these are the areas that we feel like God is leading us to. 
And now we just bet the farm on on spaces that we're going to find in those communities. And we haven't told the church because we realize when you tell the church and then you can't carry it, you know, you can't carry right. it out. That's yeah. not a win. But what we've done is internally, we know. And so right now, uh, even on this, you know, as we're talking, we have LOIs on three buildings that, that facilities that we would move into that haven't finished yet, but we're still working them because we've just said, we're going to be active. We're going to keep pushing, keep, uh, you know, looking for doors that we can open for opportunity yep. so that we can accomplish what God is calling us to. And so that's, you know, I think that for us is one of those whatever it takes moments where we kind of stalled out. Right. We, we, we stopped, you know, we, we really just became passive. And now we're having to say, are we going to launch campuses, whatever it takes? It's hard, you know, having the right people, aligning people to the vision and creating the culture that we need to, to move forward with and all and keeping all these things going. It's, I don't know if you know this, it's a full-time job, <laughs> right? And, and totally. so then when you start, you start launching campuses, it's a lot of work. And I think a little bit, our passivity came because it's hard work. Well, you got tired. So, you, you can't do that for, it's a, it's a pace that, I mean, you guys have been on that it wears on you. This is, you guys are in a marathon and you're on the final stretch. That's right. That's right. And so now we, I just sense in our team, you know, this renewed, like, that's right. This is what we're about. This yep. is what we've always been about. We've always been about reaching people and see it's easy for us in another way. And that Pastor Chris's story is, is insane. He was, he grew up in the projects. He was a drug dealer who overdosed, came to know Christ, walks into a church the next weekend, having been completely unchurched, and never turns back. He, he never wow. goes back. He, he moves forward. And so for him, he sees himself in the mirror, and I mean that by who he was, how far from God he was. And that's why for him, it's like, we've got to go after every person that we can yeah. and every community that God will open a door for. And so the rest of us know that story so well. That's the exact opposite story from me. I didn't always grow up in church, but man, I had a great family. Uh, you know, I was pretty much saved before I really came to know God and had a relationship with them. You know, my family was moral and, and all of those things. And so when I listened to him, it, it cast me back into that vision to say, we have to create a church yeah. that people who are so far from God want to be a part of. And the only way we can do that is by putting an expression of that in their community. And so then again, it just draws our team right back to that passion, that vision to accomplish that. That, that is so key because when a church experiences growth, really any organization experiences growth, you're changing it naturally drifts towards the complex and you lose clarity. You have to fight for clarity. You get tired, you get weary. How do you, how do you continue to beat that drum to re, refocus the ship? How do you keep, you know, how do you not get tired of retelling the story? You know, like what, what do you do to keep the organization from drifting from the vision? Because we naturally drift to what's easy. We naturally drift. We naturally become passive. We don't want to, we just, dear Lord, we just planted eight campuses over the last seven years. We're tired. How do you circle the wagons, 
keep things focused. What is the thing for you as the kind of the driver behind this, Josh, leading your yeah. large staff, keeping people focused? Meanwhile, you've got a huge production that happens every weekend. How do you how do you keep everybody focused on that prize, on that vision, on that picture of hey, we're reaching the future Pastor Chris's that are drug addicts and far from Christ? Well, the reality, I think, Vance, is I'm terrible at it. So can I just be honest <laughs> and have a moment? That's awesome. I love it. And, yep. and here's the reason why I'm terrible at it, is that really it's about stories. So yep. I, I can be really driven by, because I know Pastor Chris's story. I know what his heartbeat is. And that so connects with me. You know, like I get what he's about. But everybody else on our team doesn't. So I'm trying to do a better job telling stories. So interesting, a, a couple, for, for the first, I guess, 23 and a half years of our existence as a church, we never took an offering. And we always wow. just said, God's going God's gonna to fund the vision. So at the, There are some Southern Baptists that were, are turning over in their grave, man, right now. Yeah, like, well, they're rolling hey, around. We, you're going to laugh at this. Speaking of that, our people didn't even know how to take up an offering. The oh first gosh. time we what did it, we it was these a buckets? train wreck. It That's was like, awesome. we got to hire. I grew up in a, when we started going to church in a Baptist church, like, we got to go hire some deacons to come teach our people how to take <laughs> up the offering. You know, like, we got. Oh, and so, I love it. Um, so, we, we, what we did was we said, hey, we're not teaching our people to worship through giving. Yeah. We've got to do something different. So, we started taking up an offering. Well, Pastor Chris had really, he would say this, if he, if he were on here with us, man, he would say, man, I preach this in a corner that we would never take up and take up mm. an offering. And so one day we had to spend time unpacking why we were going to start doing that, you know, and, and one of the reasons we did it was we recognized we're so terrible at telling stories of what God's doing yeah. and, and, and then through faith Thomas. And so, so it's, but it really is about stories. So now We've started doing that in these moments, and, the, and our people are energized around giving, and, and it, it's exponential what God has done. But, but here's how it works for me. I'm in the lobby at church a few weeks ago, and uh, this is a, kind of a weird story, but a lady comes up to me. She introduced herself. She's the mom of, of a, 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 the grandmother of some kids that my wife taught. Okay, it's just a weird deal. And she comes up to me and she says, hey, you don't know me. She introduces herself. And she says, this church has changed our family's life. And I'm like, wow, tell me about it. What happened? And she said, well, you won't, you won't fully understand this, but my daughter's husband, he's far from God. And he travels so much that he's rarely ever here on the weekend. And of course, this year, the two weekends he could make it were the weekends that Pastor Chris was going to talk about being generous right? Mm -hmm. It's just how it works out. Of course. And she said she was, she was totally disappointed. She said, but the second weekend, she looked over and he had, he had pulled out his checkbook. Now for young adults and millennials, they may not know what that is, but there's these paper things that you can write and actually, <laughs> like, you know, and, and paper things. Your bank and, account. And... Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so she looks over and, and he pulls out his checkbook and he writes a check. And her daughter later tells her, if God can move on him to give, 
Wow. Then I think God can actually save our marriage. And wow. when you when you hear that story, that's what that's what motivates me to to do more, to yeah. create more campuses, to give people a, another opportunity, you know, to to really engage God in a way that maybe they never have before. And Faith Promise isn't the best church. Uh, it's not a perfect church. It's not led by perfect people. There's not a perfect staff. Uh, but I'll, one of the things that we do have right, I believe, is that we're wholly committed to put an expression of church in a community that, that we have the greatest desire will draw people in her far from him and help them take steps in their relationship with him. And when I hear stories like that, that's what motivates me yeah. to say, hey, I know we're not getting it all right. And we may not even be getting as much right as we're getting wrong, but we're getting something right. Because people don't experience life change like that that I hear uh, when, there's, when there's not a compelling reason to get involved, to get plugged in, that God wants to do something significant in your life. And so I'm learning more and more that story is really, you know, you've got to have story. You've got to have stories that continue to, to tell people and help people understand the vision and how the vision is being accomplished. And when people can get that, then you can, you can continue to move forward. And I think even though we haven't done a great job and I haven't done a great job at that, I think we've done a pretty good job at helping people get connected that way and, and hear stories of life change. Yeah. Stories are the rocket fuel that propel the vision forward. If you don't, cause that, that you hit the nail on the head. Like that's that life change. It goes back to the very first thing when we started this conversation the focus of the whole goal of the 10,000 by 2020 was life change. And so every one of those, every one of those stories is a testament to, Hey guys, this is why we've given our lives to this. This is why we're making the hard decisions. This is why we're saying no to a lot of good things because that doesn't connect with where God's calling us. Uh, That's, that's awesome. I love it. That's right. And, and, you know, it's for me, Vance, and one of the things I think even from a church staff perspective, if I could get people to buy into, I'd get them to buy into no leaders perfect, but most leaders are worth following. Yeah. Uh, and in my experience, I've never had a perfect leader, but there were parts of leaders and that were worth following and I wanted to follow them. And I see, man, my job is to start support and uphold the vision that God has given pastor Chris for faith promise. It's not my vision. Right. I'm supposed to put legs on the vision and make it happen. And so for me, that's such a critical part that's missing in the church today is that everyone wants to fulfill their vision. They're full of vision. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my thing is over 16 years at Faith Promise, what I feel like God has done in me has said to me, support someone else's vision. That's your vision. And so yeah. I was, I was, talking to at a table, I was sitting at a table in Kenya just a few weeks ago. And, a, and a, a guy who leads worship at a church where I was, I was working, I was working with, he said, you know, um, I could leave and go to another church in Kenya and do what I do. But he said, the only thing they could offer me is money mm-hmm. because I've already bought into the vision here. And that's one of those things for me, for a church leader, buy into the vision of the church you're a part of yeah. because that is what's going to keep you at that church and, and just root you in. 
you know, if you're bought into the vision and you're committed and you, you, you're, you know, you're sold out to the vision, that's what keeps me going after 16 years. Absolutely. It's, it's not that I get a paycheck. It's not that, you know, 10K by 2020. Yeah, that's incredible. And, it, and, I, and I'm, I'm doing everything I can to help us achieve that and what it means for Faith Promise. But at the end of the day, what keeps me rooted and grounded as a part of Faith Promise is the vision. And it's my commitment yeah. to do my part to make that vision a reality. Yeah, I think that is a, that's a valuable lesson that I think especially, I would say a lot of young leaders, I know for me, I didn't understand that. It was all about, I'm fulfilling my vision. Um, but that's not, all, that's not always what God is calling us to do. When we go and we work at a church, we're not, it's not about my vision for this ministry. It's how can I accomplish, make this ministry match the vision of this church? And do I bring alignment and energy towards this vision? So find it. That's the, that that's worth the price of admission. Your, your line, when you said find a, find a church, find a leader that has a vision that you can align with, because that's what gets you through the tough times. It's focusing on the vision because they're human beings. Leaders mess up. And so when the leader, when the leader, not if the leader messes up, if you don't have that vision to fall back on, it's going to be, well, I'm just going to go find another place that I can, and where it's easy and where it's, where they treat me better. And that's, you're just going to, it's in the same circle. It's find a vision and connect to it, get planted, be rooted in it. I love it. Yeah, two weeks ago in our all staff, I did an all staff lesson, and and the, I actually gave them nine things that I've learned from our senior pastor in my 16 years. And you know, again, it was a great reminder for me that I'm, you know, I'm more perfect than he is. Obviously, I mean, you knew that as well, right? Don't yeah, we? That's don't why we you're on the call and not that? him. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we all think, you know, if only my leader were like me, forgetting all the people and the carnage behind us, right? That. People are looking yeah. at us going, if only you were like me. If I, and, you know, and it was just such a refresher for me just to say, man, I have learned so much from this person that I really feel like God just said, hey, you're to help this person fulfill the vision that God has placed in their heart. I have a vision, Vance. Yeah. But God never said, go fulfill your vision. God told me, fulfill this person's vision. And I think in, in churches, if church leaders could just buy into that thought, I think the church could go so much further. And, yeah, and I get it. I there are leaders who, who are, you know, maybe they don't have character or, you know, there's other issues. But I think too often, uh, you know, as church leaders, we play character cards and things like that, you know, uh, because we don't want to support the vision or it's not exactly what we want. Instead of just saying, hey, I bought into this. I'm going to, I'm going to make this a reality. And man, you can't make a vision a reality if you're short, if you're short term in the vision vision. I just don't think, you know, 16 years, we went from 800 to 7,000 plus. It it, it wasn't something that happened in six months or 12 months. And there weren't always great times. Uh, There were years, you know, that were lean and where we were struggling but sure. man, to look at it now and to see what I've gotten to be a part of, I wouldn't trade anything for it. Made, it it's made been amazing. It. Absolutely. Uh, okay, I got one more question for you as we wrap up. And this one's a little personal. I think this, this would be, uh, be fun. And uh, I want you to tell us a story that your family 
tells about you that they think is funny? A story that my family tells about me. Something that, that you did when you were funny. either from last week or from when you were a kid, your family tells a story that's funny about you. Oh my goodness gracious! You're, this, I can't believe you would pull something like this out. I mean, how, that's, it's like cruel and unusual punishment. Um, Come on, man. You know what? When I was uh, when I was in, I guess, elementary school, I had this big vision that I was going to be a football player and, you know, had all, I, my parents went out and bought all this equipment and did all this stuff for me. And uh, then when I went out and realized that you hit each other in football, I was like, Oh wait, this isn't what I, what I thought it was going to be. And so still to this day, my family will make fun of me uh, in a, in that season of like, what were you thinking? Why did you think you wanted to do that? Whatever, you know, so I don't know if it's really, funny it was pain on my part honestly i think i caused a lot of grief for my parents as well but uh, i look back on it and think what did i think football yeah. was like Josh, did the I, football player. I, i'm not I'm, <laughs> i've not seen you man sure, you're not a big dude when what position were you gonna play you couldn't have been that big in well, when you were a kid to be honest with you back then i was a, i was i was i was actually a lot a lot more uh, proportioned a little differently than i am today but <laughs> i had no I had no heart or, or, uh, or, or any passion to go out and do anything with that for sure. So anyway, oh, yeah. It was, awesome. Well, Josh, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And I appreciate you sharing a lot of the, the journey and the pain. Hopefully I know this is going to be beneficial for everybody listening. And I hope that you guys, um, you've get, you've got some time left. I think you guys are going to hit this goal. You're pretty close 10,000 by 2020, but ultimately you guys are making a difference for the kingdom, which is awesome. Um, if you guys want to check out more about Faith Promise, the website is faithpromise.org. Is that right, Josh? That's correct. Well, thanks a lot, Josh. And uh, everybody, will. Uh, thanks for, for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Get ready, everybody. It is now time for my absolute favorite part of this podcast. It is called Stories with Stan. Now, you don't know Stan, but you will. Stan is the co-founder of Slingshot Group, one of the best storytellers in the world. He's kind of like that great uncle that we all have that we look up to. He is an amazing influence on my life, and he's hilarious. So sit back and get ready to hear some stories with Stan. So uh, when I was in college, it was a big deal to have, you know, choirs and stuff. And uh, I had uh, been at a junior college, started there. And uh, I wasn't one of the top students at that college. I wasn't like in the top five, you know. But, you know, it just wasn't going well. Mm -hmm. And so I told my dad, I... I want to go to Eastern Illinois University and major in marketing and take over my dad's furniture company. So I did that, and I was there about four months. And I called my dad and I go, uh, I don't think this is going to happen, Dad. <laughs> I want to go to Lincoln Christian College in Illinois. And my dad, who's the most awesome guy and most fun, he said, well, just tell me where you want me to send the check, you know? 
Maybe he was that much behind. He said, that's okay. If you want to do that, um, let's try something else. And uh, so I went to, to that school, but I went in the middle of the semester. And I was a decent singer, church singer guy. But I, you know, I had not I had no voice lessons. I didn't know how to read music. So <clears throat> they had a, a, a group called the Masters Men. Okay? <laughs> yeah. There's something like 50 guys in this choir. And it was as awesome as a 50 voice choir could be. It was phenomenal. And we would travel around, you know, throughout the year, sing at churches or schools. So we were at uh, we were in Dixon, Illinois, which is Ronald Reagan's birthplace, by the way. Don't worry about that. And uh, he he actually was born in Tampico, where my wife Connie was lived, and then he grew up in Dixon, Illinois. Just for a little history, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, a little yeah, and it's true. Uh, so uh, I get to the school and they. They told me about this master's men choir. I go, man, that sounds like something I'd like to do. Get So I had to audition. And uh, they said, okay, we'll let you do it, you know. And so I I was, I called my folks, and I was so excited. And we're going to be traveling and on a big bus, and we're going to be doing all these concerts. And so we had a concert in Dixon, Illinois, at the high school, and like at 2.30 in the afternoon. And so we get there, and we're going to do our classical slash patriotic uh, presentation. And we ended the whole thing every year with, I mean, every concert with the Battle of the Republic. We had tuxes, you know, half, uh, only come down the waist, jackets with a cummerbund. And I mean, we, we were looking, I don't want to brag, but we were looking pretty good. <laughs> and so um, uh, we did this, it's a famous uh, rendition of the Battle of the Republic by Wilhowski, I'm sure you guys have heard of him. Um, you probably think he played second base for the Padres. No, it's not that guy. But uh, <laughs> so um, we get to the school and uh, we only had one, as far as lighting goes, we had one spotlight. And when the room would get, they turn off the lights, the guy would take the spotlight and just zoom around with it. You know? <laughs> That's all we had. And he had a couple of gels you could put in there and change color, which was awesome. And so we're doing the Battle of the Republic, and what we do is go, go, hallelujah, through this marching on two, three, and then we break, and we go out into, and we're marching in time, but the risers are old, and they're squeaking in time. Squeak, 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 squeak. And you can hear that clear across the gym. There's like 400 high school kids watching us, which was just awful. And so we come to the part in the thing where in the beauty of the lilies. It's an acapella thing with 50 guys in a big gym. Killing that. And so we get out there, and it, we, I'm supposed to, I'm on the very end on the bottom. I was new, and I was short. So I was the one that would lead out when we stepped down from the risers. So it was, his truth is marching on. Two, three, turn, and then we go out. Well, while I'm standing there, I get a little bit, I, I get a little bit confused as to which chorus we're on. <laughs> not severe, but I'm, th I'm not confident in this moment. 
His truth is marching on. Two, three, three. And I walk out so everybody could come in and follow. I went one course too soon. <laughs> and so I walk out all by myself, standing at the top of the key where the best, right, where they shoot free throws. And I'm standing out there all by myself, and there's still 49 guys still on the risers. <laughs> Stealing the show. And I'm, I'm just still doing I'm right in time. And I realized what happened. And so I tried to, like, I marched back, like, like, like it was supposed to be there. Like I marched back in time, and I get back just in time for it really to be the time we're supposed to go. So I get back and I'm, I'm marching for about two seconds and then the whole thing, we all had to go out. And uh, unfortunately, my wife was there with her parents that day. <laughs> awesome. Who I, I had never met before. Connie's dad was a farmer in Northern Illinois and he was God, Jesus, and Ronald Reagan. And not necessarily in that order, you know? And he said to me after I met him, were you supposed to go out there <laughs> all by yourself? I mean, I just went out there and checked the cord for the spotlight, you know. I made up something. <laughs> but that was one of the most embarrassing ministry moments of yeah. my life. But again, uh, I, I don't want my life when I'm finished with it for people to say his life was just went very well and very smooth, which means it's very boring. So I love those stories. So. Awesome. That's it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Slingshot Group podcast. We invite you to continue the conversation with us on social media. You can find Slingshot Group on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, be sure to visit us at slingshotgroup.org to find out more about how we build remarkable teams through staffing and coaching. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the Slingshot Group podcast so you'll never miss a show. Until next time.